The following audio is brought to you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. More information about our church can be found at emmanueltuscaloosa.org. All right. Um, so as we've been doing for the last few weeks, we got this one and one more. All right. So I pretty much killed y'all on Wednesday night. Uh, uh, you know, I've noticed some people are kind of like, well, I ain't going over again until that Sunday we vote. Uh, I get it. All right. We go back to the normal curriculum. I understand. Okay. But um, we have this Wednesday and one more where we're going to consider um, deacons this week and we're going to consider um, congregational rule in the final week. So I'm going to try to just drive it home one more time on the last week, congregationally ruled church. But um, as, you, as most of you know not by now, we're, bylaws have been presented. We're preparing for April 30th to have a vote on recognizing a plurality of elders in our, in our church. Um, and we've basically been going through on Wednesday nights um, what that means for our church. And so we've gone through the sort of closing arguments leading up to the vote of what the Bible has to say about these things. And so we've seen, I, I keep, if, y'all, if I hit this and I don't mean to, y'all just let me know, okay? Um, <laughs> But y'all, y'all have seen uh, the New Testament. We've talked about how the New Testament recognizes a plurality of elders in each church. And Paul, as he goes and appoints elders in the church, it's not just an elder in each church. It is elders in every church that they go to, to plant. And there are many reasons for that. And we've talked about that on the first week of just why there would be a plurality of elders leading the church. And what we're looking at is really pastors who are... Um, put in place to teach sound doctrine, to lead the church in discipline, to plan and execute the direction of the church, and also men who, are dis- who distinguish themselves amongst the church body, not meaning that they're separate from everybody else, meaning that they, uh, they live lives that are hopefully to be modeled by the people in the church, that they see that their lives you know, uphold a certain characteristic, a certain quality of life, um, that these elders go all the way back to the time of Moses, into the Old Testament, when uh, the tribes begin to develop, and they begin to get uh, authoritative people that are the heads of families, called elders. Eventually, these people take on important shepherding roles in Moses's time, and, and they begin to make decisions and judgments, and uh, and into the days of the judges, when they sit by the gate, and into the days of the first and second Samuel and first and second Kings, where they represent the people, and they continue to make judgments even after uh, they go into exile and come back from exile. The elders are tremendously influential, and by the time we get to the intertestamental period, which we'll be going into soon, um, they 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 begin to to take on a very important role in the synagogues as the synagogues develop in city to city. And when the New Testament apostles begin establishing the church, the reason they appoint elders in every church is not because they just sat down one day and decided, you know, that would be the best form of government inside of a church. They did that because that's the world they came from. That's what they knew. And that's what they established in the churches. It goes back to the time of Moses in a progressive sense. It's changed certainly since the days of Moses, but that's how it evolved. And then we looked at, um, finally, um, uh, in, in the church after the New Testament era, the, after the, the apostles die and leave. 
what, what happens then in the churches? The, the, the early church fathers begin doubling down on that and as a, a way of carrying on the churches that the apostles established. They double down on elders. In fact, in some cases, some of the church fathers, probably mistakenly so, put so much more emphasis on the, the plurality of elders and the, the head pastor and things like this that they become probably something that elevated to a position that they're really not supposed to be to, which was probably an overcorrection. Um, they're not infallible people. They're just making the decision with the culture that they've got, and, and part of that has the pendulum swinging too far one way, right? And that, that's kind of the reality as we look at the whole biblical picture is that without Jesus being the one to do it, without Him being the one to rule, the pendulum is always going to be swinging like this. And you want, as badly as you want to keep it in the middle, it's constantly a fight to not keep that pendulum from swinging too far one way or too far the other. And, and that's probably what we see going into the 2nd century and the 3rd century and the 4th century of the church is the church fathers begin to swing that pendulum toward plurality of elders too far one way where then the elders become elevated above the local church. And now they're looking at multiple churches. And then all of a sudden you get a bishop of Rome. And then all of a sudden you, that, the Pope is the bishop of Rome, if you didn't know that. And, and so originally he's the bishop of Rome, meaning there's lots of churches in Rome. And, and you're overseeing that. Well, eventually you start getting higher and higher on the hog. And all of a sudden you've got so much authority and you're not connected to the local church at all, right? So the pendulum has swung way too far that way, right? And it's got to come back. So, but, the, but the point is that throughout the Bible... And then even after the Bible, Christians are dead set on this being a structure in the church. Now, having covered the biblical arguments for uh, plurality of elders as, the, as church government, we then talked about last week restoring the role of elders and, and why that's important and what they do and how our bylaws specifically address that. And the goal now is not just to talk about the biblical arguments for those things. We've covered those things. What I want to do is now dig actually into the bylaws that have been proposed so that you can not only lay eyes on them, but then also understand what these statements mean and how that actually impacts your life as a church member. So how do I relate to these plurality of elders? And, and, and what, what does that mean for, you know, that, that I call them? What do I call them? You know, what, do I call them pastors? That's fine, by the way. Um, you know, what are they? And so we, we talked about last week how they are, they're, they're all on equal footing. Each elder is responsible for all the members of the church. Um, and so what you have typically seen as the pastor now needs to be seen as a plurality of men instead of just one person. And granted, there's going to be different responsibilities that we all have. So mine will be preaching and teaching for, you know, the for, I'll say the foreseeable future, unless God kills me or I'm retired, right? Uh, would be preaching and teaching. And so, uh, but, and each elder will have a division of responsibility, but they're responsible for the entire church as a whole. So now what I want to look at is the, the role of deacons in the church. And what, the reason I want to do this, not only because there's bylaw issues that we need to address, but also because you'll hear this from time to time, is somebody will go, are y'all elders or you deacons? You know, like, like, it's a, like they're mutually exclusive. Well, if you have a plurality of elders, then you don't have any deacons. Or if you got a bunch of deacons, then you don't have elders. And the reality is, Neither one of those options are biblical, right? 
the, the offices in the church are elders and deacons. And so what I'm hoping to show you today is that they both have a, a, a very important function inside the church, and you, as a church member, need to understand their function, what role they're playing. And I think when you do understand their function, you'll understand, one, why things happen the way they do, and two, you'll understand why it's set up that way. Because if you understand their role and function, you'll see that the needs of the church are covered the best that way, when both elders and deacons are functioning in the way that they're supposed to. So in restoring the role of, of elders in the life of the church, it's also necessary to ensure the role and function of the deacon body is clarified so that the church benefits from the proper operation of both offices. To this end, some helpful language has been added to the bylaws to better define the purpose of the deacon body. So, I want you to look at bylaws, uh, at the bylaws, uh, section 2. I've got it there, 2C, 2C. <laughs> um, very easy to remember. 2C, 2C. And hopefully at the end of this, you will see. <laughs> it's all there for you to see. Um, Deacon says, Deacons shall care for the temporal needs of members, attend to the accommodations for public worship, and encourage the support, uh, encourage and support those, to, uh, those able to help others and those with gifts of administration. So let's go through each one of those. First, um, the deacons, as servants of the church, are to care for the temporal needs of EBC and its members as directed by the elders. So, the deacon office comes to fruition in Acts chapter 6. It's, it's created. This is not a, an office that was previously had in the church, but the, the elders of the church at Jerusalem, which are essentially the twelve apostles, are sharing the gospel, they're preaching and teaching, and people are coming to know Christ by the thousands. And they're taking up offerings. They're collecting money, the, the elders are. And they're, they're distributing that, the, the funds to people in their church body that are poor, that, that cannot make it on a daily subsistence. And so one of the ministries that, the, that is a, a fruit of the preaching of the word there in Acts at the beginning is to begin feeding the widows, who don't have food. They don't have a husband to provide for the family, and, and maybe they don't, they don't have a nice little 401k to you know, rest on, and so they don't have anything. And so the church takes up money, they buy food with that money, and every day they feed the widows, or however often they feed the widows. And in the process of doing that, some of the widows, the, the Greek-speaking widows, the ones that didn't speak the language of the people, uh, we're getting left out of the daily distribution. So they start to complain to the apostles. And the apostles go, uh, we don't have time for this. Right? Which is not a response that's allowed in the church today. It's for the pastor to say, I ain't got time for that. Right? Especially when it comes to the poor person coming up to you and saying, I'm being left out of the distribution of food. And the pastor goes, I don't have time for you. And we, it just seems so foreign to us. So what do they do? They say, look, church body, we need people who are going to be servants in this church. And they call them deacon. Deacon literally means servant. That is what the, ta the, 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 um, the term means. 
So the church nominates seven men of good repute that have strong character to do exactly that. And what is their job when they nominate them, when they elect them to serve? What's their job? Serve tables. They literally become waiters. And they clean up, they distribute the food, they do all that for the widows so that they're not left out of the, of the, the distribution of food. This purpose of ministering to those temporal needs, the need of hunger, even as important as that is, it's temporal, it's time-bound, it is, it is an earthly need. As important as it is, what they do is allow the apostles to continue to preach and teach the Word and continue to direct the ministry of the church through the preaching and teaching of the Word, right? So the deacons are, are there as servants of the church and they're to care for the temporal needs of EBC and its members as directed by the elders. That includes things like a widow that can't climb a ladder and change a light bulb, right? The deacons can come over there and change a light bulb. It includes everything from that to if you see the building and grounds that are around us, those things have to be kept up with, and that takes more than just a smile, as we just learned. Amen, deacons? <laughs> so the deacons also attend to the accommodations for public worship. This building around you is what's known as accommodations for public worship. Believe it or not, this building leaks. It leaks like an old sailing vessel. Right? <laughs> and we, uh, we walked in on last Saturday, I think it was. Was it last Saturday? Yeah. Freddie and I, wa- or I walked into the fellowship hall and there was... What was it, Freddie? 15 gallons? 12 gallons of water on the floor of the fellowship hall. And I said, Freddie, <laughs> we got a problem. <laughs> Freddie was in there with a bucket and a mop in a heartbeat and got 12 gallons of water up. Took him a long time. He and Philip came up here and caulked the building again and did all kinds of things that the insurance company does not need to hear on a recording and <laughs> I don't need to know about, um, to try to fix the public accommodations of, of worship just so that we could meet and the floor not be covered in water, right? So there are things like that that when we, when we talk about, you know, the, it makes the question, are you elders or are you deacons, foolish, right? If elders are preparing to teach and they're, they're teaching four times a week or whatever they're doing for the church body, and cleaning up 12 gallons of water in the fellowship hall, and repairing all the... It, I think these deacons would tell you that is more than one person can possibly do. And certainly not me. You don't want me caulking this building. <laughs> but, but the point is, there's attending to the public uh, space for worship. Deacons provide... Deacons provide support to those who are able to help others and those with gifts of administration. The deacons and I have had this conversation a number of times, but each deacon has a division of responsibility. Some of the ones that are on the retired end, post-work, probably have the lion's share of the responsibility, more so than the ones at work. But but the point is, each one of them have a division of responsibility, and I've told every one of them that... I would consider it a success if there was a need that was done and 
there was a team of people that you got to help you do that task. I've told Robert a number of times, it's a success for me when I look out at the congregation and Robert is sitting with Jessica in worship and there's a team of people operating the sound booth because Robert's division of responsibility is audiovisual. And if he's getting people in the church body to serve in audio and visuals, that's a win for our church. Why is that a win for our church? Because he's not the only one serving now. He's multiplied himself three times and has three times the people back there serving. So if all the deacons are doing that and they're grabbing people who are free or available or maybe have an aptitude for this, that, or the other and are putting them to work in our church, now all of a sudden the, the service ministry of our church has been multiplied 50 times over. And so now when people come here, they visit or they, they watch what's happening, they see a church that's like a, a team of ants that just sort of moves around the anthill and continues to serve one another. And that may be things outside the church, delivering food or, or dropping off flowers or writing cards, or it may be things here at the church, getting water away from the building or sealing the cracks on the building or fixing the roof. But the point is that the service ministry of the deacons is not just to serve the members of the church. It's also to increase the service in the church by rallying people around service in the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's support and administration. Um, finally, there is a budgetary aspect of this that's called out in our bylaws because of their, the nature of the work that they do, the deacons are going to be consulted and brought into the budgetary process because, believe it or not, as Ann Akins can probably attest, since our treasurer is right here, a lot of money goes to the buildings and the property. It's so much money. A lot of it is buildings and property. And because they know what's going on in the building and what the needs are, they have input into the budgetary process uh, as they prepare for the public accommodations of worship. So these are, are specifically called out in our bylaws as the way deacons will be operating in the church. We clear on that? Is there any, are there any questions about that? Okay. Because here we get to the, we get down to the nitty-gritty, okay? Uh, here it is. As important as it is to define the role and responsibilities of deacons, it's also important that we set the, or we take away, we relieve the deacons of the responsibilities that were outside the biblical scope of a deacon that were previously called out in our bylaws. All right? Now, we're going to go through these things. As you go through the bylaws that have been proposed, these are uh, the ones here on the, on the cited section in the back. This is not the whole bylaws, by the way. These are just the relevant sections that we're talking about tonight. So just as you're aware... I don't want you carrying this around and going, I got the bylaws right here. And, no, you don't. Um, if you'll notice, in the bylaws, there are areas of the bylaws that are struck out, that are going to be completely, they're, they're being voted out of the bylaws. Okay? So it's important that we not just define what a deacon is and understand that biblically, but then also come in and go, this is where I think the previous bylaws were out of bounds, and we're going to remove that altogether. 
you need to know that too, okay? So, uh, as we do that, just, you know, don't, don't kill me. Um, so, formerly in the bylaws, I'm just going to do a number of statements here. Formerly in the bylaws, a minimum of seven deacons were required. That probably comes from Acts 6, where they called out seven deacons. That, there's no evidence that that was always the case, that seven deacons was always the case. That was just a, a precedent set forward. So now, a deacon will be determined based on the needs of the church membership and the number of qualified men to fulfill the ministry. So you can see that in 2C1 on, on the part cited there. Um, the part that struck out is there shall be a minimum of seven deacons. More may be added as determined by the pastor of the deacon body. Imagine a scenario in the future where the church has you know, five men that are qualified to be deacons. And we recognize that there are not seven men qualified to be deacons. But the bylaws mandate that there are seven men that have to serve. Um, that's probably not a great thing. You have a, you have a uh, church of thousands of people there in Jerusalem that are calling out seven men. Um, when you have a church of a hundred, you know, or when you have a church of fifty, is seven men what you want to be obligated to? Um, so we know what the needs are of the church, and we know as the needs grow, we need to add more men. We can pray that qualified men be there, that we can add. We just don't want to be beholden to seven. So they're, they're based on the needs of the church membership. There are specific needs we need to address, like the serving of tables, and we need more men to do that. And so we fill those roles with qualified men. All right, formerly, go ahead, Skeeter. What's that? Alternates. Oh, <laughs> make two alternates. Yeah, in case one deacon gets sick, you got one subbing in. Like an Olympic team. Yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Can, beans, everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you would open up a can of, a can of worms, I guess, like that, wouldn't you? Uh, so, I mean, I'll say this. Let me, let me just say this. How am I going to say this? The question was, so it, it's... It does... It, in that passage in Acts 6, it doesn't necessarily mandate men. What's the perspective on, since we're separating elders and deacons, what's the perspective on women being added? I'll, let me say it this way. Two things. One, the bylaws at EBC currently uh, make provision for men to be deacons. That's one. Two, um, when Paul gets to defining deacons in 1 Timothy, um, he says uh, they'd be husbands of one wives of one wife. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. One wives of one wife, and then he says their wives likewise must be dignified. Um, there is a question as to how that should be translated. 
And it's a, it's a legitimate question. And the, the, and, it's, and the answer is not abundantly clear. It, it could be read, deacons must be the husband of one wife, and the, the, why, the women also must be dignified in every way. So, meaning the men that serve as deacons and the women that serve as, what do you want to call that, deaconess, right? Um, so, some churches answer the question that way, and they say, uh, therefore, we have men who serve as, as deacons, we have women who serve as, as deaconesses, and there can be a, a host of reasons why they do that, of like really practical reasons, not just that the Bible allows for that, but that also there are practical reasons why you would want to do that. I'll give one example. It's, I'll just say, it's very awkward when a woman is in the hospital for a man to go to the hospital, you know, and, and visit. That's, it can be very awkward. Um, especially, let's say it's a single woman or something like that, it can be even more awkward. And there could be a, potentially a, a role as a deaconess to do that, okay? All right. So some churches answer the question that way. And other churches say, no, it, the way it's translated in the ESV is the right way to translate that. Their wives, meaning that you can't have a deacon who serves as a deacon and, and the, the wife is like, you know, gossiping and slandering and doing all kinds of, of other things that would point to him not being able to manage his household, which is then quali qualified later on in that passage. Um, that's also a legitimate way to answer that question. So a church that answers it differently than we do is not necessarily, I wouldn't say wrong, or not a church like, hey, if you ever leave this church, don't join a church like that, you know, or whatever, or that they're abusing the Bible. They've, they've seen that passage, and they answer the question differently. Okay, that, that's fine. Um, here is my contention. One, I don't think it matters, okay? And, and here's why I'm going to say it that way. Um, if a deacon is, has a hospitalist and he's going to go visit somebody in the hospital um, who's just had surgery or something, and he sees that this deacon, or that this person in the hospital is a, is a woman and it could be an awkward situation. Did you see one of the things that he's doing is the deacons provide support to those who are able to help others and those with gifts of administration. So what is he going to do? He might look at his wife, maybe, or maybe he might look at another woman in the church and say, hey, could you go visit her and just, you know, encourage her, pray with her, whatever. Or maybe he takes his wife and they both go and do that. And it's less awkward that way or something like that. So ultimately, when it comes to those kinds of things, if deacons are raising up the support in the church... To do those kinds of tasks, and it could be a host of other tasks along, the, along those lines, then the problem is solved, and it doesn't really matter which, which way you go on that, okay? All right. What would a person in the first century writing in Greek, what would they call a woman who served the church in the audiovisual well, they didn't have audiovisual ministry back then, but let's say they did, and, the, and the, a woman was in the sound booth and serving the church Sunday after Sunday, what would the writer refer to her as? What would he call her? A deaconess. He, 
He would call, that's what he would call her. In fact, Paul calls Phoebe out later in Romans for deaconing the letter. She's deaconessing the letter. She's a courier of a letter. She's serving in that way by carrying a letter from one place to another. So she is a deaconess. Now, do, are, do we have a command to commission them, to pray over them and things like that? No, but that's effectively what they're doing. Anybody that's serving the church is deaconing the church. All right, But there's specific men that we're calling out in the bylaws to say, I want you to steward this ministry and take care of it. So that's my answer, not answer, not answer, answer, or whatever. I don't know if you, I don't know. What's EBC recognizes men as deacons. Yes. And men that meet a certain qualification, which does include their wives in that. Um, and we could, we could spend forever on this, and I'll just say one other thing. Um, when, if you read it as a husband who has a, who has a wife that is not, you know, she's dignified, in other words, okay? Does that mean that the deacon has to be married? So the people who have deaconesses would say, if doesn't mean that they have to be married, then it may not mean that they're, that, that may not be what they're talking about, is the wife of that deacon. Okay, but that being said, EBC recognizes deacons as men, specifically meeting a certain criteria who have, uh, in accordance with, with 1 Timothy, and that their responsibility is to raise up support from every member of the church. That's their responsibility, that's their task. So, what does that mean for you, if you're a woman or man, if a deacon calls you and says, Hey, I need your help. What do you do? That's exactly right. I'm glad. Okay, let's move on. Um, <laughs> all right. Formerly, a deacon election would be declared by the chairman of the deacons based on vacancy. Meaning, we got one missing. We're down to six, and we need to get up to seven. Or we're down to 11, and we want to get up to 12, or whatever it is. It was based on we have a missing position that we need to fill. Now, deacon elections will occur based on needs as determined by the elders of the church. Okay? So I want you to, this is all going to add up to something here in a minute. Okay? So I just want you to track with me so far. Um, so deacons were required to be in seven or more. Uh, deacons were looking at vacant positions and saying, hey, there needs to be a fulfillment of those positions, and so they take them to the church. And now what has happened? Look at 2C3A. Um, what has been scratched out is when a deacon vacancy occurs, the chairman of the deacons will announce an election. That's scratched out. And now it says, whenever the elders deem necessary, they shall announce nominations of deacons to the church body to be voted on at, regular, at a regular or specially called member meeting. So the elders will, same thing that you go through now. Hey, nominations for deacons are up. We need, we need two deacons. We need a deacon of audiovisual, and we need a deacon of building and grounds. And so we, we need you to think of who you think that would fit those qualifications. And you know, submit nominations. Elders could also submit nominations, um, so on and so forth, and bring them before the church for election. Um, okay, so previously the chairman of the deacons did that, now the elders do that. Um, Sean? So, so kind of an example, the deacon brought in 
Yeah. Um, so the question was, uh, is there a specific need and we, we see what we need to be filled and we're looking for a specific person to fill that need, or is it more vague? And the answer is, it could be either. It could be we need a person who is qualified, who is willing to serve this church body. And we have several things that we need them to do, but, you know, that being the point. What we don't want is, you know, we have a specific need in the sound booth for somebody to shepherd that, and, you know, the nomination is Joe Ferris. I love Joe Ferris. I love Joe. But Joe does not want to be in that sound booth. I can tell you that right now. And that is not his, that's not his aptitude and, you know, that kind of thing. And so it would be pointless for the church to nominate Joe if we really need somebody in the sound booth, you know. Um, but a host of other things Joe is more than capable of and is a deacon, is, is, you know, has served as a deacon in our church a number of times. So, um, so I guess that, is that an answer to your question? It could be either one. And, and we could say, like, Joe would be great, you know, or whatever. But, uh, you know, there may be a specific need that we have. Um, okay. Formerly, an ordination council of all ordained deacons and the pastor would examine deacons before recommending them for service. Now the elders oversee all examinations. Look at uh, bylaws 2C4C. 2C4C. Uh, what has been scratched out is the ordination council uh, directed to, and then it shall be composed of pastor and ordained uh, men of EBC, which would effectively all be deacons. Um, now it says the elders uh, shall examine, there's two these there that need, one needs to be scratched out, but the elders shall examine the, um, e examine the deacons to ensure the qualifications for the office are met by each candidate. Um, again, this is adding up to something, but I just want to keep going through these. Formerly, disqualification of a deacon, moderator, clerk, treasurer, or financial secretary could occur based on a majority vote of the deacon board. Now, the church body must be the one to dismiss, all right? So in each of these, I didn't cite them all, uh, but they, e each one of them are listed under the positions of, th that are listed there, uh, uh, moderator, uh, deacon, moderator, clerk, treasurer, or financial secretary. Um, all of that would be a church discipline issue. So let's say a secretary was, was you know, maybe stealing or, or caught doing something else that was nefarious and doesn't need to be overseeing the money in any way, um, that would be a church discipline issue. And so what's changed is previously the deacons were in charge of overseeing that. And now the elders and the church body are responsible. The church body as a whole. That includes all the deacons, certainly. But it also includes all of the church body, elders included, are all in charge of overseeing the church discipline of particular ethical issues with positions of leadership like that. And they, can all, they are dismissed by the majority of a church vote that's taken to the church. In other words, the church is always going to have a say, the final say, on that particular position. Treasurer, clerk, deacon, anybody. All right. Formerly, special member, uh, what, we what used to be called business meetings, but we call member meetings. Formerly, special member meetings could be called by the deacon board. Now, a special member meeting may be called by the elders or by action of the church to consider special matters of significant nature. Um, so you look at uh, 
4C. Bios 4C. A special called member meeting may be called by the elders or by action of the church to consider special matters of significant nature. A two-week written notice or announcement will be given for the special called business member meeting. Um, now, some people have asked, like, how would that even come about in a church? Like, how would you even do that? Let me first explain what would be most normal. Most normal special member meetings that were called would be called by the elders. All right? Hey, church, we want to meet together to consider the purchasing of a property, a building that we want to build, or capital that we want to raise, or I can't even think of a million different reasons we might call a special member meeting, all right, that we would call. Um, however, in the event that something goes terrible, right, all three elders or all five elders or something have all just disqualified themselves and there's nobody left to lead the church, who calls the member meeting to get rid of them? There's got to be somebody right? Has to do it. So that would be the responsibility of the church membership to say, our entire leadership has just gone awry. What are the odds of that? What are the likelihood of that happening? We hope that it would never happen, right? But it's in the bylaws that it can and that there is provision that can be made should a special matter like that need to be called. Does that make sense? Those are sort of provisions just in the in case. All right. Now, last one uh, for this section. Formerly, church discipline was overseen by the deacons who were responsible for resolving the spiritual conflict between the church and its members when a breach of covenant occurs. Now, the elders will lead the resolution through the church body as a whole. Look at 6b. Should any case of gross breach of covenant or of public scandal occur, the formerly it said deacons, now it says elders and church members, shall endeavor to resolve the conflict. And if this effort fails, shall report the case to the church. Okay. Um, I want you to think about this for a second. All the things that we just said, if you look back over your sheet, the deacons were responsible for having a group of them, and uh, they were responsible for filling their own vacancy, you know, appointing people. They were responsible for um, overseeing the, the ordination and looking and analyzing a person's life and determining whether they were fit to lead in the church over spiritual matters. They were responsible for the disqualification of leaders within the church, moving them out of positions of authority. Um, they were responsible for calling special member meetings to consider, could be physical matters, could be spiritual matters. They were responsible for overseeing church discipline in the church. If a person is strayed, we need to correct them. They were responsible for all that. What do you call that? What do you call a person who oversees all of that? You call that an elder. How many of them are there? 
There's, there's seven that are required in the bylaws. What do you call that? You might call that a plurality of elders. Here's what happens in church. When you take all these things together, ah, come on, go back. Taken together, the responsibilities that are currently called out in the bylaws for deacons um, place undue burdens on the office which cannot possibly be met. And I'm going to explain why in just a second. The deacon office in the current bylaws has been turned into an elder body. They're overseeing spiritual matters of excommunication. In some cases, able to dismiss somebody without even bringing it to the church, necessarily. Depending on how you read it. Um, so there, there's a tremendous amount of authority and tremendous amount of responsibility that was placed on the deacons. And, as the church saw how much responsibility is placed on the deacons, what did they say? Well, we got to have seven of them. Right? <laughs> of course you do! Because of the responsibilities that are placed on them. Because those responsibilities, in large part, are the responsibilities of an elder. And you look at that and you go, well, you can't have just one. So then what is the responsibility of the pastor? To preach. Was it? Well, what about the direction of the church? Not really. The direction of the church, if we follow the bylaws to the letter of the law, should be directed by the deacons. It certainly can be overruled by the deacons. There's no question about that. It's overseen by the deacons. Now, when you read the Bible, is that what you see? When you hear the term deacon and you know that it means servant, is that what you think it means? It doesn't look like it. So, this is what happens, though. In, in churches, you'll see it across the board. When you look at a church that has one singular pastor and has a multitude of deacons, I will, all, I will guarantee you 99% of the time those deacons are functioning like elders. They may also be functioning like deacons, meaning they may also be serving and doing all kinds of other things, but I guarantee you in the bylaws is provision for them to function like elders. Whether they do it or not, that's another question. Whether a deacon ever here has ever overseen church discipline matters or things like that, that's another issue. But is it permissible within the bylaws? I will guarantee you, if you've got a plurality of deacons and you've got a singular pastor, that's exactly how it's functioning. It has to, because the spiritual needs of the church mandate a number of people being over, overseeing this, right? Okay, so the biggest issue that this raises, and I really want you to think about this, the biggest issue this raises is that it changes the church from being directed by the Bible to being directed by people who are not required to be able to teach. This is the separation between elder and deacon. Called out in the Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul calls out specifically elders. And one of the qualifications, if you look at the parallels between elders and deacons, there, there's some differences, but they're very similar. The main difference that is called out in elders, that is not called out in deacons, is to be able to teach. Why is that? Because they are, elders are overseeing the spiritual teaching of the church and 
the execution of that teaching in the church's ministry. So they're ministering to people with the Word of God in their hand. If you've got a pastor who is standing up there who never opens the Bible, or you go see him for counseling, and he never opens the Bible, he doesn't pray, he doesn't tell you anything that's happening in Scripture, he doesn't correct your misunderstandings of Scripture, something along those lines. How is he leading you? With what's up here, right? I mean, isn't that what some sermons are, essentially? Is, is, here, let me tell you what I think a good marriage looks like, and I'll say this, say this, say this, and oh, by the way, this passage randomly out of Nehemiah somewhere, somewhere I've never read before, vaguely kind of sounds like it supports what I'm saying about marriage, and then go on your happy way. All of that came from within my own head. So the church is not being led then by the Bible, The church is being led by what's in my head. Well, if you've got a church that's led by a plurality of deacons who are not called by the Bible to be teachers, how are they leading the church? If they're not leading it through the Word of God, they're not opening up and saying, this is the reason we should take on this ministry. This is the reason we should feed the widows in our our neighborhood or whatever. If they're not doing that through the Bible... How are they leading the church? Hey guys, I think it'd be real good for this community if we built a, you know, gymnasium out back. We could host a lot of basketball events and all kinds of things, and the church goes, hey, I like that idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. 51% raise their hand, yes, we're building a gym out back. How have you just led the church? Has it been through the Word? Hasn't at all. Just conventional wisdom. And that's what happens when you have a plurality of Deacons leading the church and are called by the bylaws to lead the church and they're not called to actually open the word of God. But as an elder or a plurality of elders who have to open the word of God, that is their job, that is what they're called to do, they, they are the ones that lead the church because it's not actually them leading the church. Christ is and will always be the leader of the church and he leads through his word being taught. So what happens then is if you've got a, 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 a host of people who are leading the church through conventional wisdom, and you've got one singular pastor up here preaching the Bible, you're going to, at the very least, have an identity crisis in the church. Because Christians are going to be in the pews, they're going to be listening to the Bible being taught, and they're going to go, that makes a whole lot of sense. I think we should go that way. And then you're going to have a group of people over here going, I think we should go the other way. And the the Christians in the middle are going to be like, I like them, but that sounds right. What happens in the pew? Split. Identity crisis. Who do we follow? What do we do? So it's an identity crisis we bring upon the church. In handling a case of church discipline, this is an example, how can a deacon who is not required to be able to teach the Bible, adequately lead the church through this process biblically. So it's one thing if you're building a building and you you decide to take out a loan or something like that. But how does a deacon called out in in the bylaws lead the church through the discipline of somebody, maybe excommunication of somebody, if they're not required to take the Bible and explain it to the people? This is why church discipline has to occur in this case, because look at what the Bible says. Well, 
if they're not required to do that, how can they lead a church biblically into that? They can't because they're not required to. When deacons are functioning biblically, the physical, temporal needs of the church and its members are being met and organized regularly. Widows, as an example, are being physically cared for. The building and grounds are being maintained and tables are being served. So when you put deacons in the role and function that they're supposed to be in, what they are free to do then is just be turned loose on the congregation to serve in whatever capacity people need. To call people and say, hey, I need your help. Will you help me? And to recruit other members to serve. And all of a sudden, the church itself transforms a little bit, doesn't it? Because now you're like, well, I had this need, but I had a team of guys over my house, and they chopped down all these limbs, and, you know, <laughs> mowed my yard or something like that, right? And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, thankfully, the identity crisis and things like that, and that isn't an issue, I don't think, in this church as of this moment. I think most of the, the, I think all of the men, I won't say most, I think all of the men that are, are serving as deacons, that's what they want to do. If you told them, hey, get up behind the pulpit on Sunday morning and preach, I think they would just not want to do that, for the most part, right? <laughs> I think some of them could, but, but most of them are like, I don't, that's not me, I don't want to do that, you know? But when you tell them, hey, this person needs help over here, or, or we got this issue, or what. They have jumped on that and, and run with that, and it, it's, it's been not easy stuff. It's not easy stuff. It's taxing and time-consuming. That's why they're only uh, giving a three-year commitment <laughs> at a time. <laughs> but but it, it's, it's, it's hard work, but it's, it's a clear job description. And, it, and, it's, and they, they jump on that, and it's, it's easy to do. It's easy to understand what they need to do. And the physical and temporal needs, which are always there, are able to be met regularly. When the deacons are oh, time's up. When the deacons are functioning in this capacity, they're recruiting others from the body to join in serving as well. Soon, through, through a well-functioning deacon body, the church is pulling together to meet each other's physical needs. So, so just imagine my, my job really is, is I want to present to you sort of Eden, as it were. We know that we're always going to have shortcomings, but, but kind of the goal, what we're heading to, what, what I want to see us heading to, is a church where the deacons are not just, here's your seven deacons, and you can call on any one of them and whatever, but where they're inspiring the service of everybody else in the body, and they're organizing it, and they're promoting it, and they're pushing it. And they're, yes, sometimes they're calling you and nagging you and pestering you. And sometimes you're like, I really don't want to do this, but I've just been asked by a deacon. But somebody comes in and sees this church, and they're, they're, looking, they're looking for a church community that actually looks a lot like what we see in the New Testament. And when they look around, they see the Bible. They see and hear the Bible being preached and taught on Sunday, on Wednesday, in building blocks and things like that. They see uh, many opportunities to grow spiritually like that and to understand the Bible. And then they look around and they see these people don't just listen to the Bible and they don't just sign up for a bunch of Bible studies. They actually then do it. 
I had this need, and, and all of a sudden I had 15 people over here helping me, and then I, had, I was here, and then they did this, and they just all grouped together like a whole team of ants, and before long they're carrying chainsaws across the, you know, and they're doing all kinds of other things. And you can imagine what a compelling community that actually is to a world that is dying and dark. Flip on the news, people. You don't see this anywhere else. But all of a sudden, you come into a church where the Bible's being taught, where people who actually believe it are desiring to serve others, and they have a team of, of encouraging men who are also serving, who actually have good quality in their lives. They're men of character who are inspiring you to serve, and now all of a sudden you're trimming bushes or you're serving in the children's building, <coughs> serving in the children's building. What did I say? Did I say the name of it? Serving in the children's building. Um, you're doing all these kinds of things that you never thought maybe you would be doing, but, but you've got these other people who, man, they give up their time and their energy all the time, and they serve, and they're an example of that. And You know what? I can do that too. What kind of church is that? Oh, it's a church that's, that's high-functioning. It has the gospel at its forefront. We're always going to be striving in that direction. We're always going to have, you know, issues here and there. We're always going to drop, plates are always going to hit the ground. And we want to keep them all spinning. And that's just not always possible. But, but we know what the goal is. We know what we're striving to. And we know what it, it does look like when it, when it happens. And it is possible. Questions? Go ahead, Vicki. Yes. Yes. It would be immensely helpful. Yes. If you said, you know what, I'm an introvert, and I, I will always be an introvert. God bless the introverts. By statistics, half of you at least are introverts. And so you're an introvert, and you're always going to be an introvert. But you know what? I can write an encouraging note. Give me a stack of cards. I will write encouraging notes to people. Give me a list of people that need some encouraging notes. I will write an encouraging note. I will stuff it. I will bring it up here. We can stamp it for you, and we can send it out to All right? Boom. All of a sudden, you've got a ministry. Or I'm, you know, I don't do that, but, man, I can crochet. Hey, we can start a hospital baby ministry. We can take it up to the NICU. We can take little baby caps. We can do all kinds of things, right? Yes, you're gifting. Yes, let it be known what I'm really good at. Now, you may say, I ain't good at rocking babies. Guess what? Not many people are. <laughs> right? but, but if a deacon calls you and says, hey, we really got this need, or even if a pastor calls you and says, hey, we really got this need, you should strongly consider, I think I could do something like that. You know. So, yes, we want to know what you're good at. And, and, and that, you know what that does? That creates a whole branch of ministry possibilities we didn't even know, we didn't even think of. You, you can't, we can't depend, you can't depend on three guys, 50 guys, elders in a room going, what ministry should we get involved in? That, that's not how this works, right? The word is preached. You hear the word and you go, I, I think I can do this. I think I know what I want to do, Right? So, Miss Lynn and I have had, and I'll just use you, can you mind if I use you? So, 
Miss Lynn has a heartbeat for uh, shoeboxes. I can't remember the ministry. What, what is the ministry called? Operation Christmas Child. Yeah, it just went blank completely. Operation Christmas Child. She just loves Operation Christmas Child. Every year she organizes Operation Christmas Child. She's always thinking about ways she can make OCC uh, better. I thought, did I have the right initials? Yeah, o- OCC better. She's always thinking about that, right? I, I, how do I pack a shoebox better? How do I get more supplies? How do I get more people? How do I get... Always. But the point is, at some point, she hears the word preached. And she goes... I can serve. I can give to children Christmas presents that, that haven't had any. You know what I can do? In my church, I can, I can organize this Operation Christmas Child. It's not easy to do that, but she does it. And so then her task is, well, are there other people that want to do that too? Come see her. Let her know. I can do that. I can pack a shoebox. You know, I can give some get whatever. Um, and she teaches Sunday school too because she was like, well, I, could, I was a school teacher. I could do, I could do that. I could do that. So the point is, you hear the word te- taught, you understand what it means, and then you think of how that applies to your life, and you decide how you're going to serve the church. Not just, I don't just mean, how do you serve me? I mean, like, how do you serve Christians? How do you serve the church? How do you minister in the community? I can't possibly know all that. You think of it. You go, I, I want to do that. And maybe you say, I don't, I don't really know. Well, that's where elders can direct you. That's where deacons can direct you. Hey, we got this need. And you go, okay, I can do that. Other questions? <laughs> Other churches have elders, so yeah. As we talked about, virtually every denomination has <laughs> some form of plurality of elders. Yeah. Um, so you can see, like again, we're we're not going to be perfect. This isn't going to make us perfect. That's not what we're we're doing. The word of God preached continues to refine, correct. It's able to transform, conform us into every into into Christ. That's what. That's what moves his people. Bylaws don't move the people. The bylaws hopefully will reflect what the Bible is saying and enable the ministry of the church to a greater degree. All right? That's what we're headed to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for the deacons in our church. I'm grateful for the ways they serve. I'm grateful for those who've been um, deacons in the past, who will be deacons in the future. I'm grateful for the men that you've raised up uh, to do that task of service to our church. It is taxing. It's tiring always being asked to do this or that and always having issues that have to be tackled and they seem to never stop. And, uh, you know, as, as hard as it is to deal with those, I am grateful that you have put men in this church who desire to help in that capacity and who desire to do those things and um, who, though they get tired and taxed and maybe frustrated from time to time, that you have continued to put in their heart to do it more. And I pray that you would bless them immensely. And I pray you'd raise up more, lots more, people to help them and to come to them and to say to them, uh, we, we want to help, and for them to be able to put these individuals to work. 
Um, I pray that you would multiply that ministry of the deacon, the deacon ministry, and that people that are even on the outside that come into this church that w- would see just a, a, a team of ants running around this church, uh, taking care of, of every need that, that arrives. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful day that, that is to see. So we pray that you would make that happen. Uh, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you live in the Tuscaloosa area and are looking for a church, we'd love for you to visit. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday nights at 6.15.